I feel honored having the chance to, to hold this keynote and uh, let's just start. Uh, I think that you all know that uh, music business is playing monopoly. There's only three multinational record companies left to dominate around about 80% of the worldwide label business and almost 70% of the music publishing business. And same goes to the concert business. Uh, in the concert business, only three huge worldwide company, uh, companies dominate the concert business, AG, CTS, Event Team, and of course, Live Nation, the by far biggest of these three. How come? How has this happened? What is the problem with it? I think we need to look back how concert business has worked originally, and we have to find out why and how the whole concert industry has changed so dramatically. How has it happened that concerts and festivals, which have been part of the so-called subculture, counterculture, which have been an important part of diverse culture, are now a worldwide industry being dominated by an oligopoly of just three multinational corporations? So let's, be, uh, let's start to be a bit uh, sentimental and let, uh, let's go back 50, some 50 plus years to Monterey Pop Festival. You know, it had uh, 50 years ago, it was one of the first big festivals in California and it had a romantic concept. It was about music, not business. The festival had been organized by the musicians themselves. John Phillips of the Mamas and Peppers, with a little help of people like the legendary promoter Bill Graham or Derek Taylor, who was press officer for the Beatles. There was a committee, the so-called governors of the festival, and that included people like Mick Jagger, Paul McCartney, Brian Wilson, and Paul Simon. So it was the, the artists had the big, uh, uh, were in the, in the driver's seat of this festival, totally different from what we have now. They, of course, had their own hymn. You know that if you are going to San Francisco, uh, be sure to wear some flowers in your hair. The artists, many of them were unknown. Janis Joplin didn't even have a recording contract. Uh, Otis Redding had never before performed in front of a white audience. Jimi Hendrix never played in California before he, he performed at the Monterey Festival. So the booking was extremely diverse and taking a lot of risks. Think of Ravi Shankar the Indian raga master who uh, played main stage of the Monterey Pop Festival on Sunday. Imagine an Indian raga master performing ragas for 90 minutes on main stage at Rock am Ring or at Rock Werchter in our days. And then you can imagine what has happened there and what, what was the diversity of culture which we had in those times. And it was agreed that the lineup of acts would, as the committee said, represent all genres of the immediate past, the present, and the future of contemporary music, and that all the acts would be treated the same and have first-class travel and accommodations. So you can see from this statement that was not uh, the standard in those times. The idea was equality, community. There was no up and backstage. You could see, for instance, Jimi Hendrix uh, sitting in the audience watching another act in the first row and uh, surrounded by people, by other fans. So, that is, that is, I think, an, an important issue, this idea of equality and community, which is in the start of, of uh, pop culture business. And of course, there was not a real business involved with Monterey Pop. It was a non-profit festival. All profits have been used for a so-called Negro College Fund and for classes for many ghetto children to learn music on guitars. So uh, this idea lives on, of course, as we know, in Roskilde Festival, which is a non-profit festival as well, and, and they invest their uh, profits or the, the, uh, uh, the money left in social and ecological projects. So we have to think of the, of the 
uh, structure of concept business in those times, and that counts till the 1990s, which was uh, the usual thing. There was artists who had sometimes managers, there were agents, there, was, there were promoters, or in some countries, national promoters and local promoters. So all these people had been involved, and they had been crazy about music. They were music lovers, and many of them were very close to the artists. Today, for instance, Live Nation is often managing an artist or a band. They are the worldwide agents. In many territories, they are the tour promoters. Often, they are even the local promoters. And they own a bunch of the venues and the festivals where the artists perform. Everything is just in one hand. And I'm deeply convinced that it's to the benefit of an artist if there's various parties who care about the artist's career. The more capable people are fighting for you, the more people are working on your career, the better it is. We need agents, we need national tour promoters, and we need good local promoters who know their local market, the media, the right venues for each show, and so forth. But today, the local promoters are less and less existent, and they are degraded to just being achievers, Durchführer, as we are saying in German. So how could it happen that a more or less regional music business created by and run mainly by music lovers has turned into a big shareholder business? I think a big issue is uh, the year 1996, the turning point of music business as we know it, the year of change, the year of the huge turning point in international concert business. Market concentration and monopolies and oligopolies are not a law of nature, they are created by human beings. And in 1996, there was a law in the US, the so-called Telecommunications Act, which was a neoliberal law Milton Friedman and his uh, Chicago boys had created for Ronald Reagan. The older uh, people in, in this audience will know Regonomics. It was a big issue when neoliberalism was founded and became a nationwide strategy. And uh, it was signed by Bill Clinton, actually. And uh, it was a new, this new law allowed media cross-ownership. And that is an important issue, media cross-ownership, for the first time in American history. Now one company could own several TV channels and as many radio stations as they wanted. They could own newspapers and concept promotion companies, venues at the same time. That was not permitted before this uh, uh, Telecommunications Act. And of course, of course, this law ended in a massive concentration process, whilst in 1983 there were 50 huge media companies in the US, there were only five left in the year 2005. We have the same uh, as, as we had later in the concept business. And of those who did benefit from the new law was a small local radio station in San Antonio, Texas, named Clear Channel. After 1996, Clear Channel invested more than 30 billions of US dollar and bought more than 1,200 radio stations all over the country. And Clear Channel became a big player in the concert business as well. I won't report all the details of the Clear Channel history, uh, just two important facts. There was one big change in the year 2005. They were under investigation from uh, antitrust uh, uh, issues. And so in the year 2005, Live Nation was spun off from Clear Channel and ever since they exist as their own company. And in 2010, there was this merger with, uh, from, uh, of, of Live Nation and Ticketmaster. So the biggest concept company of the world in bed with the biggest ticketing company of the world. So let's have a look at Live Nation. So you have a few uh, figures here. In 2017, Live Nation has promoted almost 30,000 shows in 40 countries, have sold 500 million tickets. The revenue was uh, 10.38 billion US dollars. 
And uh, just to compare what, what, what these figures are, the entire budget of Germany's Minister of Culture in the same year has been 1.36 billion euros, uh, which equals 1.58 billion US dollars. The interesting thing is, uh, if you look at to, in, into the figures uh, of, uh, of the three big uh, parts of the company, you have the concept business, a huge loss, 93.589 million uh, loss, uh, the operation income. Uh, the sponsoring and advertising part makes a lot of money, more than 250 million uh, dollars, with only 445 million revenue. And the ticketing in this particular year, 2017, is only 90.9 million operation income, but they had left 110 million dollars accrued for a legal settlement. So in fact, we could put these two figures together and then you feel like you have almost 200 million dollars operation income. And, uh, the operation margin, and that is, I think, is interesting. If you look again at these three parts of, of the Life Nation company, you see concepts don't make any money. There's an operation loss every year, and, and, and I mean, it's quite substantial. I mean, if you look into, it's 93 uh, million uh, dollars, or in the year 2015 it was 133 million. That is quite some money, I would say. Uh, then the ticketing part of the company uh, always makes money, and uh, makes around uh, almost 200 million, but with uh, far less uh, uh, revenue. And uh, of course, then there's sponsorship and advertising. Uh, and you, you say, you can see it's, it's the biggest uh, portion of the uh, operating, operating income and the operating margin for sponsoring advertising is like 56% for ticketing, it's 4.2%, but usually it ranges around nine to 10%. Now, what does sponsoring mean in this context? It's not, as we know it from the past, it's not uh, about getting a tour sponsor who gives you a little bit money for being on the posters. Uh, sponsoring means, for instance, selling exclusive pre-sale to big brands. Like if you, if you have the telecom, uh, they have the right to, for the first three days of exclusive pre-sales, and they pay a bunch of money for that. Uh, then it also means uh, using big data to liaise with potential brands. Big data, of course, uh, Big Brother is watching you. That was the 80s. Uh, our time is Big Brother has your data, and they sell it, and they work with your data. I mean, if you look at these things, you know, these little things, which you usually have on festivals uh, nowadays as well, like Lollapalooza or the big festivals, uh, that means you pay everything with, with, uh, with this little thing, with your wristband. That means they have all the data what drinks uh, do you have, what uh, food do you have, at which time, at which stage, uh, which music is at the same time playing, so this can be combined. Then the ticketing companies have all your data, uh, how do you pay, uh, which tickets do you ha uh, have you bought, and, and they can combine all this. And of course, this is very interesting data for the sponsor companies, for the big brands. And so this whole sponsoring advertising business is uh, getting huge. And all these companies, uh, CTS, have opened uh, their own company in, in the sponsoring uh, sector as well. Everybody's doing that. And it's basically it's what Shoshana Suboff in her latest book calls surveillance capitalism. It's really like uh, surveillance. So forget about concept business. It's a ticketing and the sponsoring stupid. We have the same situation with CTS Eventim. 
same situation was founded in 1996, you know, this big year of, of big changes in concept business. And uh, the interesting thing with CTS is in those times it was a deficit ticketing company and uh, Mr. Schulenberg bought it from, actually from the, in those times, biggest German concept promoters, Lieberberg, Hoffmann and Avram down in 1996. They didn't make money with, with ticketing, which is quite interesting, I think, because uh, nowadays ticketing is making the money and uh, even the biggest promoters in, in Germany didn't have the clue where they can make the money because they were concept promoters. And uh, 17 years later, in, in the year 2013, Mr. Schulenberg uh, was becoming a billionaire, a dollar billionaire, according to the Forbes list. Uh, so I don't know uh, how many billionaires you know, and uh, I, I don't know exactly what you are doing, whether you're concept promoters or artists or booking agents or whatsoever, but I think we all know it's a damn hard work we are doing, and. Uh, uh, even being a millionaire is far away from, from our reality. And if, if you can imagine that within 17 years you can make a deficit company uh, and, and, and uh, you, you become a billionaire, this is, uh, shows where the money is and, and what happens in our business. Uh, now I have some figures for CTS. And that is interesting. I think they have sold... Uh, Last year, in, in the year 2017, they have sold 250 million tickets. Almost 50 million of that is in the internet. And in the year 2017, they have reported for the first time ever a revenue of more than 1 billion euros. Now, same situation like Live Nation. They buy a lot of other companies. Uh, and uh, they, have, they buy festivals, they buy uh, venues and, and all that. Uh, now, you have two figures. Uh, that doesn't mean the the percentage of the whole uh, uh, revenue and, and the whole uh, operating income they uh, do, but uh, it's just, uh, you can see that in, in the ticketing section, they make 40% of the, of the revenue is, uh, is operation income. And in the concerts, it's uh, pretty low, even though uh, the concert uh, section is, is much bigger, but, but the revenue is like uh, uh, 25 million in, in, in that year. And uh, this is just to figure only the live entertainment section. You can see there was quite a substantial uh, uh, revenue, like more than 600 millions. Uh, but, but the whole operating income is uh, staying very low and it's, it's uh, relatively small. But others than, than Live Nation, if, if, if you will allow me this remark, I think uh, CTS is a little bit a very German company. Uh, think of Max Weber and, and the Protestant uh, capitalism theory in the 1920s. Uh, so we don't have a situation like Knife Nation who, who always uh, lose money for ages and, and, and substantial money, almost one billion in eight years. Uh, CTS is uh, uh, writing, uh, as we call it, Schwarze Zahlen. They are, they are always uh, making money, even if it's uh, small, but, but they are more careful. And, and, uh, so, but, but the business concept is the same. They are buying and, and they are investing in the ticketing uh, thing. Now, if, when it comes to uh, ticketing, you can easily see uh, way less revenue and uh, way more operating income. And uh, the whole thing is uh, going up, but also the revenue is going up other than, than the life, uh, the concert business. Now, as you can see, it's not about concerts anymore. Ticketing is creating the huge profits. And why is that? Almost. First of all, there's almost no risk. It's a commission business, so if, if, if a show is not working, 
uh, they make less money, but they, they don't take the risk for the show. Uh, the ticketing companies are collecting the monies, which is also an, uh, quite, quite an issue if you think of 250 million tickets and, and uh, uh, they, they hold that on, on their accounts first. And then, of course, the internet. The gross margin of ticket sales in the internet is 58%, versus 12% at the normal concert business. So uh, this is really the big man, uh, money. For instance, uh, we, we have this uh, uh, story in Germany. We've had this uh, CTS event team have exclusively sold the tickets for the German shows of ACDC a few years ago. The ticket price was 80 euros. CTS have charged pre-sale fees of more than 20 euros. And then they have created uh, what they called prime service costs uh, that was between 19 and 29 euros and uh, shipping costs. Uh, but you could not, could not choose to have a, no prime service, so you had to order the prime service. And prime service basically mean, meant uh, you got a letter. There was not even a signed letter. It was just a letter. And uh, they have charged, uh, so the ticket was like 121 euros minimum, more than 50% surcharge. And that they didn't even promote this show. Uh, so it was just the ticketing income was huge. I think uh, the term is to scalp the fans. That is what happens. And I think there's two main problems with it. The first problem is people think we are all bad people in music business scalping the fans, which creates a bad image of the whole concert industry, of all the promoters, all the agents, all the tour promoters. And this is not really good. And I'm not very happy to have a bad image because there's a ticketing scalper companies. And the second problem, of course, is people have paid too much money for these tickets. And uh, they don't have these 30 or 40 euros in, in their po uh, pocket anymore. And that means they cannot use this money for buying a ticket for a small club show or something else. So how could it happen that CTS Eventim, originally a ticketing company, has bought all the German concert promoters and festivals? And again, it's a profit being made in ticketing. There's a funny anecdote. I mean, I don't actually know whether it's true, but it's a very, I, th I think it's a very good anecdote. And it, it goes about uh, Mark Lieberberg. You know that Mark Lieberberg, Germany's biggest uh, concept promoter and a real music fan, I have to say, uh, that he has become uh, CEO of Live Nation Germany uh, a few years ago. And, uh, but his own company, Mark Lieberberg Konzertagentur, is still owned by CTS Event Team. Uh, so they do Rock in Park and, and, and the big festivals together, Live Nation and, and CTS. Uh, and the an anecdote is about old school versus empire business. And they say that uh, when Marek sold out a stadium show of Coldplay within three days, he was very proud of it. And when he reported this to Michael Rapino, the worldwide CEO of Live Nation, Rapino just said, well, then the ticket price was not high enough. I think this shows, I mean, the proudness of old school business just selling out the stadium. We have been successful, we did the right thing. And the new uh, business, well, if you sell out, then you could easily have charged 10 euros more. And think of 10 euros more with 60,000 tickets in a stadium, this is quite some money. There's different thinking of the whole thing. It's not about music anymore, it's not about culture, it's about business, it's about empire business. It's about dominating a market, which could be any market. It's about creating an empire. Let's have a quick look uh, at what Walter White tells us in the fifth season of Breaking Bad. Jesse, you asked me if I was in the meth business or the money business. Neither. I'm in the empire business. 
as we all know, Breaking Bad is discussing the dark side of capitalism. And here we have our problem in a nutshell. In today's version of progressive neoliberalism, it's not about starting a business anymore or about developing a product and being successful in selling it. It's about starting a business and then becoming bigger and bigger, buying other businesses, becoming bigger and bigger again, till the empire has been created. It's about world domination. Capitalism for the sake of capitalism. And by the way, the, the actors in this game don't necessarily care about what, what business they create, exactly such as Ward in this short episode of Breaking Bad. He, he's not really into drug business or into whatever. He says, well, it's just uh, it's, it's empire business, what I'm in. And uh, the rapper Gucci Mane, you know, the trap god, uh, he compares the drug business with the music business, business in his autobiography, which has recently been published. And uh, you bet he has experience in both parts of the game, both in drugs and, and music business. So all this is not necessarily about music, but it's about empire business, and this is one of the biggest problems. And the other problem, of course, has to do with this. Those companies, be it Live Nation, be it CTS, they are shareholder companies. And shareholders don't care about culture, they care about their shares, about profits. And it, it might be interesting to, to know where does the money come from. I mean, of course, it's, it's uh, shareholders, you, you uh, sell your shares, and uh, Live Nation, for instance, uh, they have lost, as I've mentioned this, uh, between 2005 and 2012, they have lost 951 million euros. Where does this money come from? Liberty Media holds 34% of Live Nation. This is a, a big, a huge uh, uh, media company and fund. Or we can also look into, just so that we don't concentrate only on, on Live Nation and CTS on those companies, let's uh, think about Good Life. You know, Good Life is a relatively new company which holds the Melt Festival, the Splash Festival, Lollapalooza in Germany. So they do all this. Uh, at Lollapalooza, there's uh, Live Nation in, uh, again involved. And they have this uh, really established German uh, booking agency, Melt Booking. And uh, Good Life uh, partners with uh, Paragon Partners. That's a private equity company. So that means this empire business, even in, in the so-called empire uh, independent world, is always financed by private equity, by hedge funds. But you cannot read about that anywhere. Of course, it would hurt the narration of our cool and hip uh, life concert business. But the other issue is, have you seen one single unknown music act which Live Nation has built from scratch? Of course not. This is way too risky, and this doesn't create profit for the shareholders. But this is where the music, where the cultural diversity starts. But of course, the empire business doesn't care about all these amazing smaller musicians and bands who represent cultural diversity. We have to take into account that the concept business is a superstar market. Only 1% of all performers worldwide earn 60% of the worldwide revenue. And 5% uh, generate 85% of the worldwide revenue. So it's 5% uh, uh, who generate 85%. And that also means, on the other side, there's 50% left for 95% of all performers worldwide. So empire business works perfectly with the superstar market. And the big companies only take care of the superstars. And, uh, and everything else, which might be the diversity, which might be the interesting acts, uh, they don't uh, play a role in this game. So what can we do? How can we change the concept business? 
in times when it's easier to imagine the end of the world than to imagine the end of capitalism, I'm afraid we need to remain being realistic. We need to be pragmatic. Under the conditions given, our main realistic chance of changing the life industry, if not to the good, then at least to the better, is ordo-liberalism. Now, those guys uh, who know me, uh, they will be a, you, you might be a little bit surprised because I have the image to being a left-wing guy, and now I'm talking to you about ordo-liberalism. Well, uh, I have mentioned that we need to be realistic. The revolution is not in front of, of, of the door. Uh, so what can we do in, in, in accepting uh, certain rules? And I think this is auto-liberalism. It's a, it's a thinking school developed in, in Germany, in Freiburg, actually. And that means a social liberalism that accepts there is a market, but the market needs strong rules. And I think the second part of the sentence is important. The market needs strong rules. This can be simple consumer protection rules. For instance, I'm deeply convinced ticketing companies shouldn't be allowed to charge more than a certain percentage on top of the ticket price. For instance, 10%, which is realistic. No additional charges, nobody may charge more than the printed ticket price, and the shipping fee needs to be realistic too, rather 1 euro 50 than 4 euro 90 as, as it's the standard nowadays. And we need certain strong antitrust laws. Compared to the US, our antitrust laws are pretty much toothless. This has to change. The state must maintain a healthy level of competition and therefore must fight monopolies and oligopolies. This has to count vertically as well as horizontally. Basically, tour promoters shouldn't be allowed to own ticketing companies and vice versa. Ticketing companies shouldn't be allowed to own uh, tour promoters. Also, tour promoters maybe shouldn't uh, be allowed to own their own festivals so that we have a healthy business on all levels. The festivals can compare to each other. They can act and, and, and fight for headliners as we, as we uh, have been used in the good old times. I'm generally against monopolies and oligopolies because I'm deeply convinced they are not healthy for a society with equal people. And think of the old idea of, uh, uh, of uh, Monterey with equality and, and uh, community. But when it comes to culture, it's even more important. Culture belongs to those commodities that makes man human. Music, art, literature, all forms of culture are as important for us as human beings as is the air we breathe, the water we need, and the love we live. Culture is not a good which should be owned, controlled, and distributed by multinational companies. If we leave the concerts and music festivals to the huge worldwide companies, we will face a monoculture, and the cultural diversity will be a thing of the past. But culture belongs to all of us, and we have to fight for its diversity and for its independence. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks a lot. Okay, wow. Um, where do you start? So many questions. Um, I hope you all have some too. Um, I'm just, I'm just uh, going to take this opportunity to, to, to ask something I've always wanted to ask on a music industry panel, um, which is, because um, I'm personally, I'm always a fan of, of freedom. So just the term of a free market, initially, I don't see anything bad with it because it's freedom. However, 
um, the degree of freedom that you get to enjoy as a human being, it increases with the amount of responsibility that you take. Uh, the less responsible you act, the more regulations people will demand, obviously. So I'm just curious, is it really still about uh, regulating, you know, and finding harsher measures and, and trying to keep up with, with um, individuals that just conduct business in an irresponsible way? Um, can we even catch up with it? Or shouldn't we start having, you know, proper philosophical discussions? rather than political discussions. Because as far as I'm concerned, any policy will also not achieve anything as long as it's not founded on a solid philosophy, which unfortunately, or I find it beautiful that a philosophy wouldn't require force, but it's an understanding that oversweeps you, right? I just don't see you know, how, how, how trying to keep up with irresponsible behavior is ever going to cease uh, by, by, by regulation. Do you see any realism in... Getting, just getting the industry to understand it's not even in their own selfish interest to kind of kill the market by, you know, um, uh, not investing in the development of new talent. I mean, I know, cap I, I mean, I know you know, proper evil capitalists obviously are only about short-term success, um, but um, don't you think the industry could just realize this is, not, this is not sustainable and we could not get the state involved? Well, what is the industry, you know, I mean, uh, and what is freedom in this context? I mean, uh, is it freedom if, if uh, an independent festival promoter doesn't get any acts anymore because they are playing the big festivals which are owned by the big companies? It's, it's not freedom to me. I mean, it's, it's, and, and this is a, a, an issue from the market perspective. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm a capitalist. I own my own company, and, and, and we make money with that. I mean, this is not the issue. I'm not against uh, speaking against capitalism here, but I'm uh, speaking against this neoliberal version of capitalism where there's nothing left for the independent companies, nothing left for, for those people who, who try to do something independently. And, I mean, I know a bunch of festival promoters who have no chance to get certain acts anymore because they are, they are just uh, not on the market, and, and this is no freedom to me. And I think this is important to change. And I mean, if, if you look into, into antitrust regulations in the U.S., which is the capitalist country in, in the world, as we all know, and they have a very strong antitrust regulations. They, they have uh, forced, basically, uh, a clear channel to split off uh, the, the Live Nation brand. And, and uh, now, I mean, Bruce Springsteen has just suggested that the whole deal, uh, the merger deal between uh, uh, Live Nation and Ticketmaster has to be uh, thought in a new way, uh, uh, and, and he has asked uh, the antitrust uh, uh, regulation uh, 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 minister for, for uh, checking this. So I think uh, for artists, it's not a free market anymore. For independent promoters, for clubs, it's not a free market anymore. And we have to, to work on a system that the healthy business, which is in, 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 in our business is mainly a superstar business, that it really remains or becomes healthy again. What I found very interesting about the statistics was that, uh, or could you briefly explain how, how come that the, the actual live business, the concept business, is always generating a loss? 
What's the main reason for well, that? Well, that is, that is with Live Nation business. It's not with CTS Eventim. But, uh, but uh, the operating margin is, is uh, relatively slow. It has uh, various components. Of course, uh, these empire business, they have to buy other companies all the time. They have to buy venues. They have to buy uh, uh, festivals and all that. And, and, of course, this costs money, of course. And uh, this is one issue, of course, everybody tells us the fees are uh, getting higher, especially for the supermarket, uh, superstars. Uh, I cannot confirm this for all these mid-sized artists or the small artists. They get uh, lower fees nowadays than they got 10 years ago. So uh, the, the uh, increasing uh, fees are only a question of the uh, superstar business. And of course, the, the big festivals are booking headliners, and so they make less money with paying higher fees. And by the way, Live Nation is famous for uh, sometimes paying more than 100% of their income as a fee. I mean, uh, this may uh, sound crazy for all of us, but of course, again, they make their money elsewhere with, as a manager, as with the sponsoring, with the ticketing. Uh, but this, again, destroys the so-called free market because, uh, I mean, I, as a small independent uh, agent, I only can pay fees or a promoter can only fees, pay fees uh, with the money which is earned. And, and I'm also not interested in founding a sponsoring company in order to pay uh, uh, astronomic and absurd fees. So uh, all this is, again, it's, it's a question of healthy business. And, uh, but I think it basically has to do, as I mentioned, uh, CTS is playing a more conservative role. So they are still making money also with the concert business. Live Nation is playing a very radical neoliberalism role. Uh, they invest and, and they don't care whether, whether they lose money because they have the shareholders and, and, and the uh, equity funds uh, who pay for that. And so... Um how would you uh, how would the industry basically get to uh, get the german antitrust bodies to um, implement stronger regulation what steps would have to be taken to get them to that point well i doubt that the industry as such is interested in that i i believe in and i mean my whole thinking in 30 years was I was always representing artists, so I was always taking care of, of the artist's interest. But I, uh, I always value the, the interest of the fans very much. I think the fans have to make sure uh, that they don't agree with, with uh, all these big uh, surcharges and, and all this uh, absurd money uh, which is put on, on top of the ticket price. And uh, of course the fans, I think they have an interest in, in uh, that that there's a, there's a club scene, that there's a scene of uh, social cultural centers, that uh, there's independent promoters, that there's all these cool smaller festivals. I mean, look at where the people go. The people rather go to, uh, or a lot of people love to go to Haldan and to Immergut and to Fusion uh, and, and to all these non-commercial or not so commercial uh, festivals. I think uh, uh, if these people and, and the promoters involved would, would uh, force uh, the government to to think more and, and to, I think it, basically it's ab about producing other laws and the laws should be orientated to what, what happens in the US and uh, then it will change automatically. I mean, look at what has happened with, with CTS. They were not allowed to, to buy uh, four artists uh, as an example. So uh, the, the law simply didn't allow that because uh, their market share was too big and, and uh, there's more options like that but we need stronger laws and uh, I, th I think we also need stronger uh, consumer laws, like uh, uh, why, why not having a law that, that doesn't allow all these uh, absurd scalping fees on top of the tickets? I mean, 
I would be in it. I guess everybody would be in it, except for the ticketing companies. But uh, we are not making laws for the ticketing companies. But laws are produced for uh, for the society, and 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 uh, laws are sort of agreement in the, in the entire society how they want to live. And and I think this is a strong perspective. And what do you make of say just because because um, yeah you touched upon like a law basically um, forbidding the resale or the for-profit resale, for instance. What do you make of technologies that are out there that could solve these, these problems at the moment? I mean, blockchain technology, for instance, seems to have uh, a lot of really promising solutions for not even making it possible to, to charge somebody more than the promoter has set for their ticket. It's, that's just to me like one, say, area where if the people were more open to it because I don't know what's really keeping keeping this from happening apart from that it'll disrupt a lot of business obviously but technology wise it seems a really safe bet uh, that it could at least like blockchain could at least solve uh, for profit resale or charging anything the promoter didn't want to charge in the first place Uh, you know me, I'm a very old school guy, I'm also a, an old guy. I don't believe in blockchain, I believe in society. I believe in that we have an agreement in a society and we can, we can discuss this agreement so that we can change things and I don't think that technology as such can, can solve this. And uh, I mean, I, I have heard this a lot, uh, this, this uh, argument with blockchain, I don't believe in that. I mean, first of all, uh, nobody ever could tell me what is with this ecological problem which is concerned with, with uh, blockchain technology, you know, that, that you need a huge amount of energy to, to count all these blockchain figures. I mean, basically, there's a very easy answer to, to all these problems with uh, secondary ticketing and, 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 and with scalping and all that. And that just means go, uh, go internet. Uh, have, don't have written or, or printed uh, tickets anymore. And, and then you can easily deal with that. And we need a certain technology, of course, to handle that. Uh, but uh, why, why is secondary, why is scalping, why is all that happening? I mean, you can easily have your ticket on your stupid smartphone. I mean, it's, it's possible nowadays. And, and uh, it's much cheaper. And of course, we have to force the companies who provide this technology to, to, to uh, uh, if, if they have less uh, expenses, they have to share this with the fans. And uh, that means ticketing can be cheaper with, with uh, modern technology. I b believe in that more than, uh, than in, in blockchain and all that stuff. Um, would it help? Because a lot of what you're saying, it also obviously has to do with you know, the public understanding how these mechanisms work. I mean, talks like this will certainly help to, to ma make people understand the, the way business is conducted and then maybe for the first time r realize that oh, the first ticket offer I get when Googling a tour isn't the one I should go for. I mean, it starts there. Um, so educating the public, but also having artists, you know, uh, who rightfully shouldn't be bothered with, you know, all these mechanisms. That's why you have these facilitators, obviously, so they don't have to worry about it. But if they just understood that, um, you know, s some companies are maybe maybe the, the, the whole, look, we live for creativity is just a empty mantra because by definition, um, as, sh as you also pointed out earlier, if you are responsible to your shareholders, you are responsible to your shareholders and not to the artist. It's like, without wanting to make a judgment on that at this point, it's just a fact. So 
how important is the communication, you know, also from this, from the sector and from the industry, referring to the Walter White video? Shouldn't, you know, if they at least were honest and say, look, we're not in the concert business, we're in the empire business, would that maybe just, you know, change a lot of people's perspective and understanding and they would just make choices differently? And I thought I'm I'm the romantic person here, <laughs> but but I, honestly I don't don't expect the the, the industry uh, uh, admitting they are in the empire business and that is why they are and what they are making the money with. I don't uh, see this coming. I mean I think uh, actually I, I strongly believe in telling the people the truth. And uh, when I wrote my first article about ticketing, uh, and and I can tell you how how I started thinking about ticketing. I'm, I'm a stupid concept promoter and a booking agent. I, I never thought about ticketing. It was just you had all the work done with booking the shows and have the costings and, and, and do the promotion and all that shit. And, and then you were happy that, I mean, there was enough work already. And the first time I, I had to deal with ticketing was uh, when I did a very spontaneous uh, Patty Smith show in a, in a small church in Berlin, 850 capacity. And uh, it was like uh, six weeks uh, notice, so it was uh, really, we had to push it through very quickly. And uh, we had agreed with, with her European agent, I think it was a ticket price of 38 euros or something. And uh, three days later, the agent gave me a call and said, me, Robert, what are you doing? The, the tickets are 48 euros uh, uh, it's in, in the internet. It's not correct. What are you doing? Are you, are you playing games with me? And I said, well, I mean, you know me. I'm an honest person. I don't do anything wrong with that. And then I started to think about how, can, how, how these t uh, ticket prices uh, were happening. That there was all these, you know, the 10% pre-sales, everybody knew that, the ticketing fees and then the shipping costs and all that. And, and that was the first time I found out what is happening there. And then I had this big article in Berliner Zeitung and everybody was talking about that. And, uh, and it took some six or seven years till CTS Eventim now uh, uh, don't do, uh, uh, do the, the print at home. Uh, a charge of two euros anymore, two euros 50. But I think it's, it's just telling the people, look, this is what happens. This is why I, I uh, write books like the, the Business with Music. Uh, I try to tell people uh, how, how our business works and what is the problem and, and uh, what, is, what is our job in the whole thing. And uh, of course, I mean, when, when I, I do well remember when I f uh, first wrote this article and I, had a f I have a friend who in those times was chief editor of uh, Wirtschaftswoche, which is one of the leading uh, economical magazines in, in Germany. And he gave me a call and said, well, I mean, it's very interesting what you are writing, but uh, the main question is, why did you and I not do this business with ticketing? Uh, and and of, this is such an obvious question, but it's also a very easy answer, because if we, I'm, I'm a concert promoter, I'm, I'm interested in the music. And I didn't even realize that there is an additional business, which is a real business, making with all these ticketing. And I think this is uh, uh, why it's so important to not only do all these narrations of it's, everything is cool in our business and we love the music, or the artists love the fans. This is also uh, just a narration. I mean, the artists have the power. If the artists uh, would say this is uh, our minimum, uh, this is uh, the ticket price we want to have, there's a maximum of ticketing fee on top of that. We have a lot of artists who do that. Patti Smith, for instance, she tells me this is a ticketing price and, and you don't play games with that. Or even uh, Grönemeyer is, uh, does that, or uh, what is this uh, rather stupid guy in the US? Uh, uh, I'm so bad rem remembering names. Uh, 
uh, who, who, uh, who was uh, forcing Live Nation and Ticketmaster to do a maximum uh, fee and not additional charges, but uh, a, a, ticketing, a ticket which is only 20 euros. And, uh, and that works because the artist has the power. I mean, uh, Schulenberg or Live Nation CEOs, they don't go on stage and, and uh, there wouldn't be 50 or 60,000 people coming to see the show. I mean, basically, it's the artist who has the power. And of course, the artists have to think about that and have to think about fairness and, and, and make fair deals to, to the fans. All right, I think we don't have any more time. Um, that's why I'm just going to wrap this up. Thanks a lot um, for being here, Berthold, and taking the time to answer all these questions. Big Thanks a lot to all of y'all for being here and asking questions as well. Um, and yeah, have a great remaining Eurosonic Nordislav. <laughs>